Well, hey, if you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for joining us. It's possible that some of you are here this morning because you're responding uh, to some advertising that we previously or that we have run over the last couple of days. And that advertising was actually pointing to next Sunday uh, when we're launching our series, This Is Your Grandmother's Church or This Is Your Grandma's Church. And what I want to do this morning is just talk about the setup uh, into that series. When we actually start the series next week, I'm just going to walk through the five topics that we're going to uh, be talking about. But what I'd like to do for our church, uh, for those who kind of join us before the series actually begins, is lay out kind of a, a vision for the series uh, why did we entitle it, This Is Your Grandma's Church? What are we trying to accomplish in this series? What's the, uh, the, the doctrinal perspective uh, and really the purpose underneath? And so that's my aim this morning, to walk out why we're doing this series, uh, not from like a strategic perspective or something like that. No, from the pages of Scripture, why are we doing this series? And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning, and uh, the entire chapter is a beautiful chapter. Uh, in fact, it's rare when I'm uh, reading through commentaries. Uh, Matthew Henry is my favorite, uh, and he normally goes verse by verse. And in Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Matthew Henry uh, actually starts his commentary by saying, this is one of those chapters that you cannot go verse by verse. He says, you have to look at the entirety of the chapter uh, because the ideas are woven in throughout. Uh, and, and, and Moses, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, he re revisits certain themes. Uh, and it's a beautiful chapter that I would encourage you to read on your own. I'm going to uh, narrow in on verses 9 through 14, uh, but kind of jump around a little bit because some of the ideas are present in there. Now, when you hear this idea, this is your grandma's church, uh, there, there, there's obviously something that we're trying to hit here. And uh, what we're not talking about when we say this is your grandma's church, sorry if some of you are disappointed already, right, uh, is that there are going to be pews. There are none here, okay? Uh, if you thought by this is your grandma's church, that meant there was going to be a 60-person choir on stage. It's not what it meant. If you thought this is your grandma's church meant uh, that there were going to be three elders, we joked about doing this, putting our elders up on those big chairs on stage. <laughs> Tom was all in. He was all in. He said, I'm doing it, but I'm wearing my cowboy outfit if I do it. And uh, that's not what we meant. And uh, there's a lot of other things. Maybe you thought, oh, are they uh, you know, going to do more hymns? We are going to do one hymn every week for the next five weeks, starting next week, okay? All right? Uh, so you will see a little bit of that. Uh, ultimately, what we, what we didn't mean is, is some of those methods that come in and out of style, and uh, like clothing, right? <laughs> Not that I have any of that clothing because Lindsay threw it all away, but there's certain clothing, right? It comes in and it comes out, and, uh, and, uh, and there's certain methods in church, and they come in of style. Uh, some of them go out of style. Some of them should never come back in style, right? And, uh, and so we're not talking about those. Instead, what we're talking about are the timeless truths that never go out of style, and when we say this is your grandma's 
church. What we're trying to get across is that uh, what, we're, what we're doing here is the same thing that has been happening at church. When you, when you take out the modern methods, when you take out those things that kind of shift through the eras, that underneath, what is underneath is that which has been true for 2,000 years in church. The same practices and the same beliefs. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at five practices in this series, uh, five practices that come out of five beliefs uh, that have been a part of the church for 2,000 years. These have been practices, and what I want to do is show you a little bit of the iteration because they really haven't been a a part for 2,000 years. They've really been a part since the beginning, since God grabbed his chosen people, and since he gave them instructions on how to live all the way back to the Levitical law uh, in the book of Deuteronomy in the initial giving of the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus chapter 20, that these practices, these truths have been apart since the beginning. And that there's beauty in them, there's value in them. Uh, beyond the just being beauty and value, it's actually the best way to live. It's how God set it up. And these things were never supposed to change with the era. They were not supposed to be thrown out like some of those methods that we mentioned. They were supposed to take and last the test of time. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we we see the story a little bit of the initial giving. Uh, And uh, I'll show you uh, first here in verse 6. You won't see this on your screen. It says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's. The side of the peoples. Now, when he's talking about the side of the peoples, he's talking about those who would look in, uh, look in from the outside. And when he says, keep them and do them, uh, what the Lord is uh, referring to here is the statutes. Uh, so, of course, this is past the, the giving of the Levitical law. And sometimes this gets confusing for us as Christians because we're like, oh, hold on. So I have to go back and read Leviticus and memorize all 600 and some of those laws and do every one of those? No, no, no. Uh, many of those stopped at the cross, right? And then so some of them stopped at the cross because Christ fulfilled them. Uh, but then there are some that the value of what the law was teaching underneath uh, transcends it, right? Uh, like no one today goes, well, uh, we should throw out the Ten Commandments, right? Because, you know, you you should not kill. Ah, that's outdated. No, no, no. That didn't stop at the cross, right? There's a fulfillment of it now on the other side. And so uh, when he says, you shall do them and you shall keep them, he is here. He's referring to the law that was laid out, right, that we know was codified later uh, in, in the, well, it was codified in the Levitical law, but then uh, kind of summarized in the Ten Commandments and then written onto stone, right? And so he's saying, do them and keep them. But when you do them and keep them, these uh, rules and statutes, he says, it will be your wisdom and your understanding, in front of all the peoples. He says, this is what will happen. The peoples will look in, and this is what they will say. Now, as I read this out, let me ask you this question. Right now, in our modern era, are other countries looking in at America and saying this? Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. A few months ago, there was a vote in the major denomination in a major denomination in our country, and uh, the vote was whether or not we still believe the Bible. 
right? Whether or not we still believe in the biblical definitions of marriage and the biblical definitions of sexuality. And uh, it was amazing uh, because it was the American version of the church that moved it outside of the biblical norm. And it was the, for, for years, it was the African church that was actually keeping the, the denomination in line with the Bible. I thought, how interesting here. I mean, 30 years ago, we would have said, no, we're the ones who, who hold on, or we're the ones who have kept the, the truth of God's word. We're the ones who have preserved it. A, a grandma's church after time and time and time. And thank God uh, for our, our brothers and sisters in, uh, in the African church who for so long held the truth of Scripture and, uh, and held that denomination in line. The, the, here, the, uh, uh, Moses is writing here, and he's saying uh, that, 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 well, the Lord was saying, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, a nation or a people group that uh, follow the statutes of the Lord, that do them and keep them. There will be a wisdom and there will be an understanding that will sit on them. Uh, so much so that people outside can look in and go, wow, there's something unique there. There's a wisdom there. There's an understanding. There, a perspective on life that is different that cannot be found anywhere else. You can't fabricate it. You can't educate to it. You can't legislate to it. It only comes from God's source, a truth that passes through each era, a timeless truth, timeless truths and practices that when they're kept and preserved would cause people to look in and say, wow, they seem to understand something that we don't get. Isn't it true that right now in our nation, we are living on the fumes of previous generations following God? And sometimes people, uh, they look in and they go, okay, well, things aren't that bad. Well, I actually, I don't know who's doing that anymore, but okay. They go, oh, I'm sure we'll be fine. See, see secular society isn't that bad. No, no. Anything that is still good in our country and in our culture right now is just uh, the leftovers of previous generations pursuing God. All that is bad right now in our culture and environment is the effects of secular society. You play this out for a few more generations and you will have only the bad and not the good. So what do we need? We need grandma's church. That's what we need. We need grandma's church. And when I say grandma's church, here's what I mean. It is the place of timeless truth, untouched by modern lies, and absolutely certain of God's faithfulness. Let me read it again. It is the place of timeless truth, untouched by modern lies, and absolutely certain of God's faithfulness. That's grandma's church. And we need it. We need it. You know why we need it? We need it for ourselves, yes. We need it for our children, yes. But we also need it for, uh, for culture and society as a whole. Our love for neighbor, right? Our love for those who exist 
outside of the context of the church. <laughs> For their own good, they don't know it, but they need grandma's church too. Because when grandma's church is thriving, right, culture and society as a whole thrives. The wisdom and the understanding of this great nation, right? The wisdom and the understanding. Why? Because you're keeping and doing God's statutes. Grandma's church. Now, let's jump down to verse 9 for a second. Verse 9 here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you're reading through your Bible. By the way, this is your grandma's church. I just think it would be fun if we brought our Bibles, like, for five weeks at least, right? So when I say flip or something, we all hear the, you know, right? Because you heard that at grandma's church, right? You didn't just see lights coming up and people looking over their glasses because their eyes are so bad. So let's bring some Bibles for five weeks. Cool? Bigger the better. <laughs> Y'all are old too, so you can't see anyway, right? So you need the, you need the baby. First nine. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. It's beautiful language, isn't it? Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Grandma. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. Some translations, by the way, say the word revere, which is in part why we named revere what we named it. We need a generation of people who are, are, who are being educated and growing up, revering, fearing the Lord. To learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they, and that they may teach their children so. In here, we're already seeing the setup of generational uh, a church, of passing one thing on to the next and then that on to the next generation. And over the next few uh, weeks and really months, uh, the uh, theme that God has been uh, showing us as a staff and as a team is this idea of generations. We actually uh, wrote this into our seven values See, here at Redemption, we're more of a, uh, we say we're a value-driven church, not a vision-driven church, uh, because when you are driven by a vision, then you'll make shortcuts to accomplish the vision, right? You say, oh, it's about the vision. It's about the vision. It's about the vision. Now, when you're a values-driven church, then you allow the values to dictate what you will do, and you allow God then to, uh, uh, to get you to a vision or a mission, and so around here, we're, we're value-driven in the sense that we just wrote down, this is who we want to be, and then, God, you take it from there. And one of the values we wrote down is that we are a multi-generational church. And it wasn't just a statement of fact, which it is, but it is a value. It is something that we desire. And we don't, um, like, uh, try to do that on our own by, like, appeasing all of the generations. We just let God do it. God, you make us a multi-generational church. 
And every generation in this church uh, is important into making us who we are. In fact, Acts chapter 2 teaches us something really important, that the church that Jesus came to plant is supposed to be a multi-generational church, that the church functions best when it is a multi-generational church. And as a church, we need to be a multi-generational church. Every age, from, from our teenagers, right, uh, going all the way up. I mean, just look at the stage this morning, right? Multi-generational. Now, the other idea is this, though. When the scripture talks about generations, it's not just talking about, uh, you know, this person's 20 and this person's 40 and this person's 60 and this person's 80. When the scriptures talk about generations, it is talking about that. But it's also talking about all of those who are alive in a certain period, like those who are doing the thing right now. And so when we talk about this is your grandma's church, what we're uh, also, we're not just saying, hey, if you're old, you did great. If you're young, you're horrible. We're not saying that at all. In fact, what we are saying, what we're saying is all of us right now, collectively, we make up the culture of a generation. And how we operate together and, uh, and how we hold on to these timeless truths together takes all of us who are active, alive, and participating right now, from the oldest to the youngest, that we are the generation that needs to ensure the passing down of grandma's church. Now, how do we do that? Well, we're told, do it this way. First, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Now, when we think of take care and keep your soul diligently, uh, and I love what's going on here. He's saying at the heart of all of this is what? It's what's going on in the soul, right? Uh, it's who you are. What is the soul of the church? What is the soul? Uh, uh, what is your soul? What's at the bottom? And he says, you got to keep it. You got to take care and keep your soul diligently. Now, when I think of taking care, right, we think of like, well, I'm trying to take care of my body, right? Now, uh, sometimes that means this is what I do. Sometimes this, is me, this means this is what I don't do, okay? Uh, and so sometimes taking care is I don't take that in, and so in this season, right, that means less Mr. Freeze, okay? <laughs> now, pro tip real quick, if you're a Mr. Freezer, this is the first year that I have seen that they are now giving adults the kitty Sundays. It's beautiful, and it is saving me so many calories, okay? Because usually their small was like that big, okay? <laughs> Taking care is I'm going to take less in. I'm going to take less in. If we're going to take care of our souls, then what do we have to make sure to do? We need to take less in of that which is destructive. As a church and as individuals, we have to take care that we don't allow those things to come in, those, as we defined it in our definition, those modern lies to break in. We have to take care by not letting them do that. Remember Grandma's church? Grandma's church was good at making sure that the modern lies didn't sneak in. Uh, one of my grandmas, we used to play a lot of cards. And there's a card game. I'm going to use the acronym, okay? It's called BS, okay? And, uh, and what the point of the game is, is as, as you're playing the game, you, 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 you're supposed to lie during the game. 
And we would play this game with my grandma, and she was so good at it. Okay? Now, that particular grandma was a little less redeemed, um, so she usually just said it, all right? And she caught us every time. She knew when we were lying. And can I tell you something? The church needs a little bit more of that grandma to look in and say, that's beyond stupid. Okay, we'll change it. (laughs) BS, that is beyond stupid. Psalm 1, this is a verse that I remember hearing a lot in grandma's church growing up. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Let me say it this way. The church shouldn't sit with stupid. And what happens is stupid wants to break its way in. And we need a little bit more uh, tact, yes, uh, in the sense of how we respond to those who believe differently, okay? I'm not suggesting that we're mean or cold-spirited. We do everything with love and we're seasoned with salt. But we need our radars coming back up like my grandma at that card game saying, that is beyond stupid, The Bible is now irrelevant. That's beyond stupid. We're seeing beyond stupid happening in our own local school systems right now. Okay? Where we're actually debating whether or not who should be able to go into what bathrooms. That is beyond stupid. Okay? And what what the church needs is it's beyond stupid radar. Because what happened is we got into the 90s and the 2000s, and what we did is we didn't just throw out grandma's methods, we threw out grandma's message as well. And it took a while. It took a while for it to all come crumbling down. But in an era when we were, uh, first off, just changing the methods, and don't get me wrong, some of the method change was good. It led to great church growth. It led to people getting excited again, right? It led to people saying, okay, wow, we can do this a little bit differently on Sundays. We can uh, have a level of excellence, and we can have a level of professionalism, and uh, and we're going to do things well and all of those things. And those are not bad things. In fact, I would say those are biblical things to do it well. But over time, what happened is we saw that the leaders of that generation, many of them who were reverting away from grandma's methods were subtly underneath also changing grandma's message. And so when we got to a point in our nation when we needed a strong church, we had sown 25 years of compromise. And the church failed when it was needed. Did you guys see this last week, that church out in California that got fined a million dollars for opening during COVID? Now, it's probably the best thing that's ever going to happen to them because I'm sure there's going to be a GoFundMe that'll probably multiply that a hundredfold, right? Wouldn't it have been better if every church would have had courage? If every church was committed to the... uh, If every church could have said, like the disciples... 
<laughs> you can do what you want, but I have to follow the Lord. And he told me to have my butt in church on Sunday morning, right? Now, grandma's church. Grandma's church is good. It's good at saying, that's beyond stupid. We're not going to let that in here. We're not going to let that influence. We're not going to let that seep in. We're not going to let the compromise begin. Now, the other thing we have to do is this. We can't just uh, take care, right, by keeping things out. We also have to, it says, keep our soul diligently. Now, when it says keep our soul diligently, right, that, I, I, when I think of that, I think that, that those are the good things that I'm going to continue to do. Those are the consistent patterns and rhythms and practices that I do in my life, right, or that you do in your life that the church has always done to uh, keep our soul diligently, to remain healthy. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going to revisit some of those practices. What are the practices that uh, that have always made the church healthy? What are the practices that make a Christian healthy? And the things that we're going to be walking through, uh, the five of them, these are things that are fundamental to the Christian existence. They're fundamental to the Christian life. They're not like uh, all-star Christianity. They're basic elements of the faith. Let me tell them to you. We're going to talk about what holy rest looks like and Sabbath. We're going to talk about um, what it looks like to, to, to do like uh, biblical transformation, to allow the Bible, not the modern lies of this world, be the thing that we turn to in our deepest issues and troubles and problems. How does the Bible disciple me? How does the Bible transform me? Now go run after something else first. We're going to uh, talk about worship and a life of worship. In fact, James, our, our worship pastor, he's going to preach that week and make his, his preaching debut uh, in a couple of weeks on worship, right? We're going to... The other two are slipping my mind, but they're good. Okay. <laughs> oh, I know what they are. Okay. Uh, the last one is we're going to talk about repentance. Repentance. And what does it look like um, to understand what Luther wrote in the first thesis, Right? That when Jesus said, repent, he was saying, live a life of repentance. Let the gospel continue to change you, continue to change you, continue to change you. And the last one, I totally cannot remember right now. I'll write it down next time. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Why? Because if you don't do this, you will forget the things that your eyes have seen. Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. See, when you don't do these practices, when you don't keep your soul diligently, eventually uh, uh, the input that you have put in will, uh, will, will wane away and, and, and your eyes will begin to forget and then your heart will go with it. It's like I was just talking about has happened in our culture. As we have turned away from God, as our eyes have been taken away from the Lord, right, then, uh, then our heart has departed from him, and now all that was good is slowly starting to fade away. And this is true also then for the individual. We need to keep our eyes on these things so that our heart stays attuned to the Lord so that we can walk in that wisdom and understanding, that goodness that God has given to us. And then he says this, 
Make them known to your children and your children's children. That part of the way that we keep our eyes on them and part of the way that we keep our heart attuned to it is that we get good at practicing these and passing them on to generation to generation. And one of the things we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks and months is what, it, uh, is what does it look like for us as generations to, to get even better because we can be a multi-generational church on Sunday morning where we're sitting over here and they're sitting over here and they're sitting over there, but that's only half of it. The other half is when the young people sitting over here and the old people sitting over there are now interacting in ways that lead to godliness and discipleship. Now that's the picture that we're supposed to see. And so what does it look like? Uh, and we're going to teach a lot on that uh, as well. He says, um, how on the day that you stood before the Lord, uh, I'll begin to, to wind down here. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me so that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me. What are you supposed to teach those children and children's children? To fear the Lord all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Then he says this, tells them how it all began. He says, and you came near, and you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. I love the patterns that we see in Scripture. And one of the patterns that we see in the Scriptures over and over and over again is that when God wants to do something, there's a lot of times fire involved. God loves fire. And the, the first fire we see is, is this fire. It, it was the, the fire, and he's um, talking about the time when the Ten Commandments were given. And what happened there is uh, the Israelites had to go through this little season of preparation, and then they were supposed to come up to the foot of the mountain. And when they came up to the foot of the mountain, then Moses, who was the mediator, right, he went up to the top of the mountain, and, uh, and all they could see is a fire on the mountain. And it, it, it seems like it was a fire that was so hot that you couldn't even see the, the flames of the fire because it is described as darkness, cloud, and gloom. And it says it was fire straight from the heart of heaven, and it was wrapped in this darkness, this cloud, and this gloom. And, uh, and then from the fire, what happens next is this. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. It says, you heard the sounds of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And so there, uh, as, uh, as God is about to give them these statutes and these rules that they're supposed to follow, these good things, right? Uh, even going back to Psalm 1, it says, meditate on the, on the law of the Lord day and night. And by the way, sometimes when you hear the word law, particularly as it's relating to what God has given out in the Old Testament, if there's something inside of you that like wants to fire up when you hear the word law, just exchange it for the good path that God has given. <laughs> But it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And uh, in here, what he does, uh, what God does then is he speaks out of the fire and they hear it, but they see no form. And then he says, this is what he was speaking. He said, he declared to you his covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Uh, a covenant, by the way, is one of the themes that works its way all throughout the scriptures. There's these covenants and these covenants are these commitments that God makes. And uh, the covenant is, uh, uh, any covenant is, it's an agreement, right, between two people where there are intended blessings and cursings, whether or not you live up to the covenant. 
And what we see here is the initiation of the first covenant through this fire that is happening. He says, then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words. You saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, right? Which is this, you will be my people. Which he commanded you to perform. Something else we remember, uh, I think, about grandma's church is this. We live in an era of suggestion. I think it would be best if you did this. I think it would be best if you did that. And, uh, and I get under somewhat on why we've arrived at that. Um, but there was an era, uh, and it started right here when God was giving the Ten Commandments, where he was giving these out, and he was not saying that these were suggestive. And, and what we need a, a little bit, and what I think Grandma's Church had a little bit more than the modern church, is this, that we look at the Word of God not as the great suggestions. We looked at the Word of God as the great commands. And we've um, cloaked and created all kind of modern language around why we try to view some of what God said as uh, commands and not suggestions. I told you what the, uh, the, the biggest lie was uh, a couple of weeks ago when, when I told you that, uh, when we taught on the fact that, uh, that, that we use this line, oh, it's the loving thing to do, right? And when we say, oh, it's the loving thing to do, what we're saying in that moment often is uh, God's command is really more of a suggestion if it doesn't feel more loving in the moment. No, the loving thing to do is to never turn one of God's commands into one of God's pieces of advice. I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and I told them, um, oftentimes we think, or the culture tells us, that love is to do what that person thinks is best. Love is to do what you know is best for that person based on God's absolute standard. That's what love is. Right? That's what love is. And so he says he gives them the commands, that is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And he gives these Ten Commandments. Here's what I love about the Ten Commandments, too. Isn't this amazing? That the Ten Commandments, uh, that God didn't have to go back later and change them. That when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he wrote Ten Commandments, Ten Instructions, right? Uh, commands, yes, uh, that, that have stood the test of time. He didn't have to go back 20 years later. He's like, okay, number seven, let's change that a little bit. Number six, I've refined the language of it. It's a little bit more modern. No, God gave the Ten Commandments, and they are the Ten Commandments, uh, and they have ruled good society for, since they were written. You want a good marriage? Ten Commandments. You want a good family? Ten Commandments. You want a, a good culture and a good society? Ten Commandments. Why do you think the enemy right now is trying to remove the Ten Commandments? Why? Because he knows. God told you and he summarized it in ten concise, beautiful statements on this is how you're supposed to function. And then God instituted that through the first fire up there on the mountain. That was the covenant. And then later, what happens? Oh, there's a second fire. And what is the second fire? The second fire is this, uh, that in the first time, what happened is that God was up on the mountain. Moses was the mediator, came up, and then brought the message down to the people. In the second fire, what happens? God comes down to earth. In the first one here, it says that they, uh, they heard a voice, right? But they saw no form. Oh, well, what does John 1 teach us? That now the voice took form. The word became flesh. And the ultimate mediator came down from heaven, down to earth, down to the people. And what did he do? He then summarized for us the Ten Commandments, not in two stones, but in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And he took the, all of the truth that was wrapped up in the Ten Commandments, all of the truth that was wrapped up in the keep them and the do them and the pass them down from generation to generation to generation, right? So that it will be good for you so that, uh, so that you will live well in the land so that other people will look in. And Jesus just summarized them up. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't abolish them. He summarized them for us by saying, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then this covenant, just like the first covenant, was sealed by a fire. Oh, but a different kind of fire. Now, this time, it was the fire of the cross. And I know last week I preached, obviously, I preached a sermon on Easter last week. And I got to that point in Psalm 22 where, where, when Jesus is on the cross and he, and he yells out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Eli, Eli, the mind, the mark, the eye. And I talked about last week how in that moment what Jesus was doing is he was quoting the opening line of Psalm 22 as if to tell the listeners, go read Psalm 22. And I think, I want to clear something up because I think some people might have said, ah, I love that interpretation that, that makes me feel better about what happened on the cross. Yes, Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. And yes, I do believe that Jesus was telling them, get to the end of the story, because what's happening right now on this moment in the cross will lead to the salvation of the world. But two things can be true. Jesus can be pointing them to Psalm 22, and Jesus, as you read Psalm 22, can also be saying, God, where have you gone? Because what happened in that moment, and some people, this is just like I was saying, how modern lies break into the church. Some people say, I don't like the idea of wrath on the cross. I don't like the idea of the Father and the Son interacting like that. If you don't like the idea of God's wrath being poured out on Christ, the only alternative is for God's wrath to be poured out on you. I love That Jesus yelled out those words. That it meant that in that moment, my sin was upon him. God's wrath was poured out. And Christ's righteousness through faith is imputed to me. That's what was happening. The second fire. And God loves to start things through fire. And so there's a third fire in the scriptures. What is it? It's the day of Pentecost. And the fire falls down again. The power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people will incorrectly say, ah, yes, and then we threw everything out. So now we get to do whatever we want. As if that's what living in the Spirit means. No, there is incredible freedom in the Spirit. Look what Paul writes in Romans 7. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. What does it mean that we have died to the law? It means that we have died to the obligation of keeping the law in its entirety. He says, so that you may belong to another. In other words, this, I no longer sit under the enslavement of trying to live up perfectly to the law. I now belong to another. I now sit in a new type of enslavement, enslavement to Christ. So that, uh, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. In other words, he's given me something to do, 
For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Ah, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Amen. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And what is that old way? Uh, uh, what does the new way of the Spirit look like? The new way of the Spirit looks like the same timeless truth that God gave back then, that Christ reaffirmed, right, in, uh, in summarizing the commandments, right? and now we are free by the Spirit to live them. And so these five practices in particular that we're going to talk about, they were relevant when God gave them to them uh, on the mountain, they were relevant when Jesus was walking on the earth, and they are relevant today now as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about them and the goodness that they bring. And as we do that, here's my hope that, 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 that those of us who are here, those of us who are looking will realize, yeah, this is your grandma's church. It's your grandma's church because we are securing, we are holding on to the truths that must be passed on and the practices from generation to generation to generation. Let me summarize some of them for you. We're going to talk about five in particular, but I want to help you understand. These are a couple ways you know you're in Grandma's church. Sunday is the Lord's Day. That there is more emphasis on prayer than performance. That songs worship and elevate God, not us. That we aren't afraid of words like wrath, reverence, holiness, fear, heaven, hell, justification, sanctification, expiation, substitutionary atonement, glorification, and mortification. These are words that the church has used for 2,000 years or 500 years since the Reformation to remind us what is at stake. That sin, not low self-esteem, is the problem of the human heart. That the cross is about God's wrath being poured out for our sake. It is not just a cosmic example of good action. That the Bible is as relevant today as the day that it was written. That hell is real. That holiness matters. That Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. That he is the only path to salvation. That he is coming again soon, and I can't wait until he does. That he is always faithful. That he is watching over you in every season. And that his promises are absolute. That's grandma's church. Many of you know, my grandma passed away three days ago. And the timing is something only, of course, God can always see. And even, this is a different grandma than the one I mentioned earlier. I was in a, the radio station, and the ad came on for this is your grandma's church. And I was talking to Robin the host, and um, I said, Robin, I got to tell you something off air. My grandma died literally as I was driving over here. And when I just heard that commercial, it's bringing up a lot right now. Because when I think of my grandma's church, I think of my grandma. And any of you who knew my grandma knew that she loved Jesus as much as anyone I've ever met. And I have vivid images of watching my grandma worship God on Sunday mornings. My grandma would always tell me before I left, better days are coming. 
And for a while, I almost got kind of mad because I was like, my life's pretty good right now. I don't know. Uh, but it failed to realize, I think, until Thursday that she just had the best day ever because she's dancing with Jesus. And I was thinking about that eternal truth, that eternal perspective. It just came to me. That's the fifth topic. <laughs> wow. The fifth topic is you live with eternity in mind. The better days are coming. The best day is still coming. Jesus is coming back for us. Or we're going to go to him. And in the meantime, what are we praying? That he would start another fire. The fire of revival. And the fire of revival will not be found in the modern lies of the world. The fire of revival will be found by the church going back to the timeless truths and practices that God gave us on the mountain. Let's pray. One of those timeless truths is our salvation. And this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, heaven and hell are real. And repentance through faith, repentance through faith is what moves us from death to life. And so if you have never embraced Christ and the work of the fire on the cross as your Savior, do that today. These words have no power in themselves, but it goes something like this. Father, thank you for rescuing me from my sin through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for facing the wrath of God so that I don't have to. I believe not just an intellectual pursuit, but a life now transformed by you. Friend, those words, that idea underneath those words starts you on a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And the best is yet to come. If you've placed your faith in Christ today, please tell me. I'd love to talk to you about what to do next. Father, throughout this series... Teach us from your word. Help us to be grandma's church in all of the right ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.